Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple all cry, Glory! The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. This is the word of the Lord. As we begin our morning worship together, let us close our eyes and visualize God's blessings embracing us. Sing joyfully to the Lord. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Sing to him a new song and shout for joy. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfading love. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. From heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything they do. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfading love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Amen. Please be seated. On behalf of the Board of Governors and the faculty and staff of Tyndale University College and Seminary, I want to welcome you to this commencement chapel service and to the chapel of the Sisters of St. Joseph. For you who are new to this school, this is your future home. In fact, it is probably closer than it has ever been before, because on April the 1st, we take possession of the Bayview property. It's still now, however, the continuing home and center of service and ministry for the Sisters of St. Joseph. These remarkable sisters dedicated to Christ will always be remembered on this campus long after they move to their new center. Some of them are here today and I want to extend a special welcome to them as they join us. If you're looking forward to graduating in 2013 and on, you will graduate from this campus and it is probably very, very likely that you will have attended at least some classes here as well. 
After years of sojourning toward the purchasing of this dream of this place, these next few years represent a concrete transition and moving out from our cul-de-sac on Valley Connor to this main street on Bayview. Commencement Chapel is always a special time. It's a place when all, for at one moment, all of our programs converge for just a moment. But the only students that aren't here are the Doctor of Ministry students, but I think I saw one of them. The Bachelor of Education students have been together since early July. Some of you began your student life in the summer school courses at the seminary and now are the full cohort of students in the university and the seminary have joined us this week. Uh, we also at commencement recognize faculty members and staff among us who have completed projects and studies. And the deans of the university and the seminary will give you some of that a little bit later. But I want to congratulate, congratulate Dr. Peter Dickens, who is the executive director of our new Tyndale Open Learning Center and the director of the Center of Leadership, as he has successfully defended his dissertation in leadership and organizational change. This chapel is also a time to recognize new leadership at Tyndale. And I want to welcome to, Tyndale, to the Tyndale community the Reverend Joan DeFries. If you could stand, Joan, wherever you are. There you are. The new Dean of Students at the seminary. Uh, Joan comes to us most recently from McMaster Divinity College where she's completing her PhD. She's an ordained minister in the Christian Reformed Church and a gift to the Tyndale community at this time. She brings significant experience in theological education, both as a former board member of, the Cal of Calvin Seminary and also in her involvement as a student president during her seminary days as a pastor. I just noticed that Peter and Joan are sitting together, so why don't the two of you stand and we'll welcome you. May this commencement chapel be a time where you sense the presence of God as you begin this journey. May you know that God is here and God is present as you walk together in this new adventure. The Old Testament text is taken from Isaiah chapter 43 verses 1 to 13. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not swept over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead. Since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, Give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar, and my daughters from the ends of the earth. 
Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Lead out those who have eyes but are blind, those who have ears but are deaf. All the nations gather together, and the peoples assemble. Which of their gods foretold this, and proclaimed to us the former things? Let them bring their witnesses to prove they were right, so that others may hear and say, It is true. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me, and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. I, even I, am the Lord. And apart from me there is no Savior. I have revealed and saved and proclaimed. I am not some foreign God among you. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, that I am God. Yes, and from the ancient days I am he. No one can deliver out of my hand. When I act, who can reverse it? May God bless the hearing of his word. This morning's reading is from Philippians chapter 3. If anyone else thinks that I lost the page. (laughs) If anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law, a Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. But everything that was a gain to me, I've considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them filth, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Not that I have already reached the goal or am already fully mature, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is head, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Dr. Frank's largest nightmare, the e-reader, turns off. (laughs) This is kind of ironic. My father... Uh, used to sell Carolines, so he's competing with me right now. So we're going to listen to it just for a second. It will remind me of my father. Let's pray. In the moment in this sacred place for this time 
we don't just seek your presence, but we acknowledge that it is here. And all we wish for is that you would speak to us through song, through silence, and through word. Amen. Who is your audience of significance? Or put another way, who are the people that hold so much power in your life that you play your entire life to them? I came across that question in a book written by Keith Miller a number of years ago. And in it, he described his insight into his own, into himself, but also into human nature that he gained by observing his own reactions to how people reviewed the books that he wrote. He noticed that there were certain people that if they gave negative reviews, he could have cared less. It didn't touch them at all. But there were certain people whose evaluations were a whole different matter. Their words of approval warmed him and their criticism cut deeply into their heart. Miller concluded from all of this that each one of us has a select, what he calls, audience of significance before whom we play the drama of our lives. It may be one person or a group of persons or a group of a group of persons. But what they think exerts enormous influence on us in our daily actions. In fact, we entrust God-like power to those we choose to be our audience of significance. That's why I think this question, this crucial question, is so important to us. This is perhaps one of the most crucial questions that a person can ask in the living out of their lives. I don't know if you've seen the Woody Allen movie Zillig. Leonard Zillig fits everywhere because he actually changes his personality in each evolving scene in the movie. He rides the ticker tape parade with General MacArthur. He stands beside between the U.S. presidents Herbert Hoover and Calvin Coolidge. He clowns with the prize fighter Jack Dempsey and he talks theater with Eugene O'Neill. And through the whole movie, he slips in unnoticed into every scene. He has no personality of his own. So he assumes whatever strong personalities he meets up with. When he's with the Chinese, he's straight out of China. With the rabbis, he miraculously grows a beard and side curls. With psychiatrists, he apes their jargon and he strokes his chin with solemn wisdom. I haven't seen Dr. No do that. At the Vatican, he's part of the Pope's entourage. And at spring training, he stands, he stands on the on-deck circle next to Babe Ruth in a Yankee uniform. He's a chameleon. Changing color, accents, and shape as the world around him change. He has no ideas or opinions of his own. He simply conforms. He plays to the audience of significance that is around him. 
and he wants only to be safe, to fit in, to be accepted, to be liked. I don't care who you are. Everybody plays this game. Everyone has an audience of significance to which they play their lives. And when they do, when they play to our odd, that audience, what we get is that group and their limitations. Who they are and what they will make us be. Professors play to their peers and the learned guilds of their specialty in the academy. He or she looks for approval from his peers and finds him or herself caught in the politics and the agendas framed by their audience. I still remember going to the home of one of my professors, who was at that time one of the great evangelical New Testament scholars of his time. I remember walking into his living room and finding him in tears, devastated by a review of his book, his most recent book. He was my supervisor, and I sat with him as he cried and he cried about this one person who he had given so much power to, who trashed the book. Students play to their professors. <laughs> what do you want me to say? What do you want me to write? How do I get an A in this class? But students also like that anxious presence of presenting themselves to their peers as their audience of significance as well, just to be liked. But the fact is that it continues. And as we look for places for approval and belonging or seeming successful places of relationship in their worst forms, we conform, twisting ourselves in ways that often stifle us and crush us. If I am what I do, what happens when I can't do that anymore is one of the profound issues of unemployment. I've met parents absolutely tied up by the opinions of others on whether or not they are good parents. And their child, <laughs> through no fault of their own, just proves to be ordinary and average, or worse, acts out in ways that seemingly reflects on them, and it assaults them in ways that seem absolutely painful because of what others think of that. I know a friend whose whole life has been acted out to get some approval from his father, and since his father always withholds that approval, he is always frustrated. Those examples and so many more are the conditions and the limitations that are set forth by the audience and the audiences to which we play our lives. It's a terrible way to live, but all of us are trapped by it. None of us are immune. And if you understand that, and if you can accept that this is the game that we all play, then you will understand how incredibly significant the words of Isaiah 43 are that were read this morning. Into the dismal conditions of the people of Israel in exile, 
a world that is crushing them, stealing away their identity that they had before, right there comes a purposeful and a passionate cry from God. A cry that helps you understand what it is that God wants to do with us and how he seeks longingly to bring us back into relationship with him. Here it all is. A call to the Christian life. Listen to these verses. Now, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, who forms you, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. This is my favorite part. You are mine. Verses, you will notice that after that 13 verses in which he continues to say, I will, I give, I did this, I did that. I will do this. And then notice how the passage ends in verse 13. From ancient days I am he. No one can deliver you out of my hand. When I act, who can reverse it? It's an amazing piece of scripture that lets you into the mind of God about what God desires and why God so passionately desires it. It's a challenge to whatever audience of significance that you have chosen either consciously or unconsciously. A challenge to those who, are trapped, who have trapped you by their limitations. And ultimately, it is a call to reorient yourself play your life to the audience of significance that really matters. God. This God who created you, who loves you with all of his being. The one who formed you and made you, who knows why you came to be and what your life was created for. You see, we choose audiences to play our lives to because of the deepest longing in our hearts, a nagging feeling. Some would call it a spiritual hunger. We wonder, is this all there is? What is our life all about? Is there more to this? You have come to this university and this seminary as part of that search. Yes, it is a search for knowledge and wisdom. Maybe even something that might translate into a job. But it's still a search and a journey to understand the passionate and purposeful something that you were made for. And Isaiah is telling you that this search is most healthy and effectively lived out when he begins and plays itself out and ends with God. To the people of Israel, struggling with the life of existence that they had been dealt, wondering if, if this was all there was, this exile. To these people captive to the tribal force now oppressing them, God through Isaiah 
chapter 42 replies with a purposeful and a passionate, No! You are mine. And while that might seem limiting at first, let me show you why it should be better to have him as your audience of significance rather than all the ones that you've chosen. That one reason comes in the first verse. I know you, he says. I know your uniqueness. You're one of a kindness. I'm the one who knows better than anyone else what is in you that ought to be brought out because I created you. I know you by name. You're mine. A trivial example of this happened to me years ago. At the first day of training camp at the University of Manitoba football team, I had come from Calgary from, to this strange city with mosquitoes that are this big to a place that I was sure no one knew who I was, into a context where I thought no one had seen my ability before and any of my accomplishments of the past athletically. We're sitting in a group and the, one of the coaches came out and he said this, which one of you is Gary Nelson? I raised my hand. And then he just said this, I've seen you. I've heard about you. That's a trivial example of the significance of Isaiah's statement. God summons you by name. Think about that. He knows you. Knowing, a knowing that helps you understand verses 2 and 3. He says, because I know you, because you are mine, when you pass through the waters and the rivers, you won't be overwhelmed. Circumstances won't matter. When you walk through the fire, you won't be burned. For I am the Lord. Circumstances don't matter with God as your audience of significance. Situations will not alter your significance to God. I created you. You are mine. His promise in this is not related to whatever is happening to me. It is a promise. It is a consistent reality. If we play our lives to God, there is a promise of continuing presence, of support, of affirmation, even in the questions, not just the answers. Henry Nouwen describes this as he moved from Harvard and he went to Daybreak, this amazing community. And all of a sudden, all of the things that had given him significance all of his life, all of a sudden, none of that mattered to this community. They didn't care that he had lectured all over the world. None of those things mattered. And it was then he said that I realized that the only thing that I could hold on to in the midst of all of this is that I was the beloved of God. As part of this promise and purpose is this statement of God who will gather us together, people scattered. Look at those verses in verse 6 and on in this passage. That we will be gathered together. We who have been scattered will be brought together. 
It's this profound acknowledgement that you will not be alone in this journey. You have been called into community. For you students who have come from faraway places, perhaps even farther than Newfoundland, Brad, for you who have come from faraway places, you are those scattered, as are the ones from Scarborough. You have come to Tyndale, this unique university college and seminary. And it may feel a bit imposing, but you need to know that while you have come to university to pursue a degree, or you have come to seminary to shape yourself for ministry, you have come to a community, a community of people, all very different, all very unique, but all on the journey together. You are not alone. And as you struggle in your studies, you need to remember that. It's not just that there is a writing center, although that's very important. But you are not alone. You have been brought into community. Lastly, there is this wonderful little insertion in verse 12. It's almost a sense of a call to purpose where he says, you are my witnesses. I love that. I mean, what does life live to God as the audience of significance look like? God says to the prophet Isaiah, look at you. You are my witnesses. Let me say this clearly to you who are students who have come to Tyndale. It makes it a little difficult, but our professors are also followers of Christ. Our staff are as well. And to that shared experience is added this call to be a university and seminary. And there is a reality in that, that they have been given the responsibility, added that other places don't carry, of being witnesses to a life lived with God as the audience of significance. Our lives should be a witness of what it is like to be lived in the significance of God, modeling what life is like with God as our central purpose. You should expect this from us, and you should call us to it, and we should live it with all of the grace and the forgiveness that is necessary as a community of faith. But we should live it. Well, we are not beginning an academic year. We're already in the midst of it. I've seen many of you wandering around trying to find a classroom. There really are signs if you read them. It's just a hint. We try to make it user-friendly, but I had someone ask me, where is class 1008? And there was the class number right beside us. <laughs> this is a great adventure that you have begun. Herenius once said, the glory of God is humanity fully alive. 
Well, that's what you have come to explore this year. Not just life. Not just knowledge. But what it means to be fully alive in Christ Jesus. Amen. Well, as our president has reminded us, this isn't in some ways a beginning because we're in the midst of things. And in another way, of course, it is a commencement, a beginning, a reboot, if you like, a restarting of another academic year and a fresh opportunity for each one of us in the calling to which each of us has been called. It's good to welcome you back, students, staff, and faculty to another season in the life of this institution. In particular, on the university college side, I'd like to welcome back uh, three of our professors who have been on sabbatical, doing other things. They've missed the teaching. They've missed the deadlines. They've missed the committee work. And they're so eager to come back to that. So uh, pray for Drs. Hayhoe, Carter, and Davis in their enthusiasm that uh, <laughs> they, they will not look too fondly on the leeks and onions of Egypt, but they'll enjoy another journey through the wilderness with the rest of us. I also want to extend congratulations and greetings to two new doctors among us. Professor Paul Franks, now Dr. Paul Franks, successfully... Paul defended his thesis on April 10th, which is a while ago now, but this is the first public occasion at which we can acknowledge that at the University of Oklahoma. His topic was a rational problem of evil, the coherence of Christian doctrine with a broad free will defense. And Professor Paul Arsenal, also now Dr. Paul, Paul Arsenal. His defense was on the 30th of July at the University of Toronto, and his dissertation topic was Retroflex Consonant Harmony in South Asia, which you will have to ask him to explain to you. <laughs> Welcome to you all. We're glad to see you back, glad to have the sort of juice of everybody back in their places and full corridors, and uh, it's just good to see the place alive and humming. And I always think of this week as that, that moment where the car stops that click, 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 click at the top of the roller coaster. You know next week is going to be different. You're not quite sure how, but we're in for a ride. Welcome back. I, too, join with saying uh, words of warm welcome to everyone. One of the advantages of sitting at the front is you get to look out on faces of faculty and students. We are learners and teachers together. I just join in praying with all the faculty, especially for our students, that these years of your lives will be ones you look on back on as the best years, the most transformative years, the years when you grew in so many ways, but most importantly in your, in your walk with God. Bless each one of you. 
I do want to say um, from the seminary side a welcome to a new adjunct professor. Um, Dr. Bill Webb has joined us as adjunct professor of New Testament. Also welcome back to Barbara Leung Lai, who's back from a very productive uh, year-long sabbatical. And on behalf of the seminary faculty, we extend our own welcome to Joan DeVries, who's joined the seminary as the seminary dean of students. And we really look forward to all that she brings um, to the whole. Um, we just want to join in the student life, with the academic life, with all of Tyndale, and creating just an exceptional, exceptional experience for, for students. So God bless you, each one. Good morning. My name is Stephen Holmes, and on behalf of the Board of Governors, I want to welcome each of the students here. But before I go a little farther that way, I want to thank our president and our cabinet. I want to thank our faculty and our staff, because you don't get to this day without a ton of work that takes place long before that first classroom starts. You should all know that this is my second favorite day in the academic calendar. My favorite day is graduation, and I hope that will be the case with each of you as well. <laughs> the reason graduation is such an exciting time for me is kind of what the President was talking about in his message this morning, because it actually talks at graduation. You hear about the journeys. You hear about some people who actually finish a degree maybe eight to ten years after they start it. And I don't want to put that kind of fear in your mind. But the journeys are amazing. And here's what I've learned in the years that I've been at Tyndale. Before we pray, be open to the outcome, not attached to it. Don't become attached to an outcome. Because I'll tell you, in my years of experience at this institution and being associated with this faculty, and being associated with this cabinet and our chancellor and our staff. God hasn't finished with you yet. He's just starting. Be open to what he might do. Let's pray as we close today. Lord, we come before you this morning with a sense of uncertainty, a sense of unknown, and yet you know. You know your plans for each of us. You know the struggles that are ahead. You know the challenges we may face. You know the joy that we will experience. And we just ask today that as we go forward, that we will constantly look to you for wisdom, for guidance, for care, to share our concerns. And yet we might also take encouragement from hearing you that we might look, as Dr. Nelson has said today, to the community of Tyndale, to the staff who walk beside us, to the faculty who walk ahead of us, to our peers who walk with us and sometimes behind us. It is a time now, Lord, where we would ask that you will bless each one in not just their academic, but their personal lives, the challenges they may face outside of this institution, that you will bless them, you will be with them, 
and that you will bless all things that are taking place, such that at the day of graduation, when we hear the stories and the journeys, we hear of the struggles and the challenges, but the joys and the triumphs, it will be all to your glory. We ask these things in your name. Amen. I would invite you to stand with me for the uh, recessional hymn, Praise to the Lord, the Almighty.